This Week at Hope Point. Just reading that verse is not going to deliver you from sin. Just agreeing with it, knowing it, memorizing it. But you've got to combine the truth of that scripture, the truth of the Word of God, with prayer. That's why Paul combines them in this passage on spiritual warfare. Verse 17 was on the Word, and he goes right into it. And when you read the Word, pray in the Spirit on all occasions of all kinds of prayers and requests. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from God's Holy Word. I don't know if your week felt like this. Was that your weapon or was that your opponent? Bigger, smaller, but I just hope that whatever battle you faced, you had the proper weapons in your hand. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said, you need to battle uh, with proper weapons because enemies, spiritual enemies are coming against you to persuade you to abandon your faith in Christ and you need the proper weapons and those would be the Bible and prayer. Ephesians chapter 6, put on the full armor of God so you could stand against the devil's schemes, against powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of request. So here in Ephesians 6, once again, God says, I've given you all the weapons you need. And here he refers to the Bible as the sword of the Spirit because the Bible has been given by the Holy Spirit to protect your mind. You go into battle. Satan wants to put false promises in your mind. And the way that you battle that is to pick up the sword of Scripture and you ram the Bible through the heart of evil saying that's not true. So when monster temptations come against you, you need something from the scripture to fight with. You need a promise of God's love for you. You might need a warning of sin's danger. But you need to know that Satan is coming to every battle fully armed, trying to make every wrong seem right and every right seem wrong. Willpower alone will sustain you just for a day or so. But you need the word of God to sustain you over a lifetime. Jesus taught us himself how to handle spiritual conflict and through the Word of God. He, at age 30, walked into the Jordan River, was baptized with many, many hundreds of other, other people, men and women, sinful men and women. And when Christ was baptized with them, he was declaring to them and to God, I'm all in. I've come from heaven to die for your sin. And because of his declaration of this full devotion to God, Satan came at him with 40 days of temptation, driving him into the wilderness. And for 40 days, Jesus responded to every temptation with the Bible. Now, we only have a record of three of Jesus' responses. But every time Satan came after Jesus, Jesus responded to that temptation to Satan. It is written. This is what God has said, not how I feel. You remember when he was so hungry after temptation number one, hadn't eaten in 40 days. Satan said, why don't you turn that, those stones into bread? 40 days, no food, you're hungry. Jesus said, it is written, God has said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
If Jesus had listened to his body, how he felt during that temptation, he would have sinned. But he listened to what God had said, what truth objectively is instead of what his body was telling him. So I want to ask today, how does the Bible help us battle evil forces that tempt us to depart from Christ? I'd like to answer that in two ways. I'm sure there are more than two ways, but we'll start with these. Number one, the Bible awakens our conscience with alarming clarity. Like, what is right? What is true? Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing is hidden from God. So how is the sword-like quality of the Bible useful when spiritual attacks comes against you? And I guess I would say here, it is just extraordinarily accurate. So it penetrates, so it can divide the soul from the spirit, whatever that means. It can even uh, separate joints and bone marrow. And so it gets way down inside the heart. So the reason why the Bible is so helpful in the middle of temptation, how accurate it is. Um, since 1994, I've had four major surgeries on my, my right hip. And in order to get down to uh, the area of concern, surgeons uh, from Emory to here had to cut through many things that were not the problem. To get to the problem, uh, like quad muscles and ligaments and tendons, they'd be cut away to get to the real problem. And that's what the Bible does. It cuts through all of our excuses of why we have to sin, of all of our rationalizations of why this is really not sin for me. The Bible cuts through all of that. It gets to the heart of, of what the true problem is. The, the true problem in our heart might be a lack of trust in God's love. It might be a lack of respect for his sovereignty, that he can do what he pleases. It might be just a lack of belief that sin really does not yield lasting pleasure, but all sin eventually leads to pain. The Bible will not let us play the role of victim. It just cuts through all of that. And when we try to say that I have to do this, I have to be like this, the Bible says, you don't, there's a way out. You know, when you're not in the Word, life can become really fuzzy in your thinking. Uh, I hear people say all the time, well, you know, think the world's not black and white. And well, the longer you're away from the Word, the more gray, unclear God is. The more you're in the Word, things become more clear, more black and white. Why? Black and white. If you're not in words, you just become sloppy. You become careless and indifferent to things that once alarmed you, but now they no longer alarm you because you're not thinking the thoughts of God. Instead, you're making decisions based on, on, how, you, on how you feel. I'll share this quote with you. The current delusion of our culture is born out of this false ideology Truth is whatever I feel. If I feel that something is true, 
It's true. God counters that by giving us a Bible to tell our minds what is true. And therefore, if our feelings don't line up with what God has said, then what we feel is not true. You take, for example, in our culture, the concept of of marriage among many in a younger generation will tell, uh, not just me, but uh, a lot of pastors and will tell each other that living together before marriage, uh, they don't feel that that is sinful. Just say that. Well, I don't, I don't feel it's wrong. They speak like that because there's no alarms going off in the scripture that would come if they were reading a verse like this. Hebrews 13, 4, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Read a verse like that and people say, oh, what does that mean? Probably that. (laughs) We need verses. I need verses like that to jolt me. So God would say, if you're living with somebody with whom you're not married, you're an adulterer, and I'm not pleased with that. I'm not going to bless that even though you might feel differently, this is what you know. The reason why God intends marriage to be a holy union is because of the greater union that it points to. There's a good reason for this verse. Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, holy and blameless. So so the reason that marriage is so precious is because earthly unions reflect a union between Jesus and the church that he loves where Jesus, not gratifying himself, but laid down his life in order to make a sinful bride clean through his sacrifice. He didn't use her and make her unclean. He died to make her clean. So that's, what, that's why marriage is precious. But this makes no sense to people if they're not in the Bible. She said, well, Richard, you just, you, that's just a rule you made up of who you will and will not marry. This, God made that up. He wants marriage to reflect the fact that there is a Savior who's saying, I am permanently committing myself to you, church. That's what marriage is intended to replicate. You know, when Paul wrote to the churches of Rome and Corinth, uh, both of those cities were pagan, very much. Uh, the cities were, had uh, opportunities to, be, uh, to engage in immorality everywhere. And um, so 10 times in these letters, because these people, believers were making decisions or church members were making decisions based on how they felt. Like, I don't feel like going to the temple with all the prostitutes there is wrong. I don't feel it's wrong. So 10 times in those letters, Paul said, this is what you know. Not what you feel, this is what you know. I'll just give you a few examples. For we know, not what we feel. For we know that our old self was crucified with Christ 
so the body ruled by sin might be done away with. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. You are slaves of the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or, or to obedience. So somebody might come and say, you know, uh, I am not going to turn away from the sins that my culture is offering me or the behavior that my culture is offering me, but I feel like I'm right with God. And Paul would say, no, you're not. You are a slave to sin. You're not a servant of Christ. You're a servant of, 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 of sin. He said a spiritual transaction has occurred in your life that... When you, when you died with, when you came to Christ, you identified with his crucifixion, a transaction occurred with you and Jesus, and you said, Jesus, here's my sin, my guilt. I believe that my guilt has died at the cross. That's glorious. And also you said, my rebellious self also died at the cross. I no longer believe I can live for me. That's, that's the transaction. And Paul said, you know that. Doesn't matter how you feel, you can't live like that because that's what you know. Or look what he said to the Corinthian church. Flee from sexual immorality. Run. Now, you might think today, gosh, this is a sexually obsessed message. Not really. I just think we're in a sexually obsessed culture and this is probably where most of temptations lie. The Bible certainly thought that as well. Verse 19, do you not know? There you go. Oops, no, not how you feel. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your, with your body. So he's telling the church of Corinth, what do you know? Well, you know that the Holy Spirit lives inside you. You know that Jesus paid quite a price to purchase a body that the Holy Spirit could live in. And you know that your body is not to be lived for your pleasures, but for the honor of God. He said, you know that no matter how, how you feel. And then finally, Paul says the big one in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, do not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. So why would I share, why does the Bible share such hard verses like this with us? Because when we are, have given ourselves over to what we call besetting sins, constant, frequent addictions, the longer you stay in that, you need verses to rattle you, to alarm you. Because if you don't believe, you'll never have the motivation to repent if there's nothing in your mind that says, I should, I need to repent. That's why God puts these verses like this in there as alarm, alarms to when you're dealing with besetting sins or addictive behaviors. But that's not all that the Bible does. The Bible breaks sin's power by connecting us with the life of God. So the Bible just doesn't send alarm bells. That would be horrible. But it sends help when the 
alarm. When the fire blazes, he sends a fireman to put out the fire. Look what Hebrews 4.12, the beginning of our verse, talks about the power of God to bring life when you're dealing with besetting sins or addictions. For the word of God is alive and active. I think I probably have told you this. I think every time and I've ever hit this verse in 20 years, that it's just amazing. When you read the Bible, you got your coffee and your Bible open on your couch, and there right next to you is the creator of the Grand Canyon and Mount Everest and the oceans sitting next to you, a living God ready to pour his life into you to help you when you're convicted by these alarming verses. He's ready to pour power and energy and life into you. When the Bible says that the word of God is active, it's from the Greek word energase from which we get our word energy. There's a true energy that flows from God into your body when you are alarmed by Bible verses and ask him for help. So how does God, how does God, how does his life flow into you for help? Again, this is not like uh, the only way I could have said this, but it's the way that uh, I was thinking about my life, how I deal and fight against sin. These are two things from the Bible that help me with besetting sins. Number one is just peace. The peace that comes from a forgiven heart. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we just confess. So you go throughout your life, you're dealing with these, you know, this sin has your number. It's unique to you. It's problematic for you. You've, you've dealt with it for years. Up and down. Victory sometimes, defeat sometimes, and you just, you just come to Jesus and you say again, I confess I've sinned and all of your guilt is removed. It's one of the best verses in the Bible, and I would say maybe the best if it weren't followed up by one that may be even better. First John 2, 1 and 2, my dear children, I write this to you so that you, so that you will not sin. That's the will of God. Let's run from this. But, woo, but if anybody does sin, we have a lawyer who has never lost a case in heaven. Anytime you come and say to God, is there any more blood for this sin that I have committed for this thousandth time? God looks over and he sees the cross in which Jesus died and the blood stains on that cross are forever and ever and ever and Jesus will plead, or the blood of Christ pleads for your forgiveness every time you confess. That peace is glorious in your battle with sin. It keeps you from, it keeps you from giving up. Second way that I think God provides freedom from besetting sins is just through his power. Romans 8 to 11. So peace is one way. Second is power. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, 
you will live. Well, this verse, this, doesn't, this verse is not depressing to me at all. It says that by the Spirit, I am able to put to death the mis- That's hope. The very fact that God put that verse in the Bible said, hey, you're to put to death the misdeeds. That means I can. He's going to provide power. I can do this. Why? Because look at the power that's in me. The power that raised Jesus from the dead. He says it twice. The power that raised Christ from the dead has given life to me inside my body. So, I mean, I just think we had a girl in first church who ran the video. Uh, It was in the video room in the back. She just, three days ago, it's great, I love travel. Three days ago, she's in Israel, standing in front of the tomb where Jesus walked out of. The power that raised Christ from the dead lives in your body. That's why you're able to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh by the Spirit. That's true, that's not how I feel. I read that, believe that, agree with that. I can start making I can start making progress. But if I sit, go around saying, well, I feel like I can't, I've... you're going to be defeated every time if you rule by your feelings instead of what is true. Now, now don't misunderstand me when we, when we read verses like this. I, I want to make this very clear. We're going to end on this thing. Just reading that verse is not going to deliver you from sin. Just agreeing with it, knowing it, memorizing it. But you got to combine the truth of that scripture, the truth of the, of, the, of, of the word of God with prayer. That's why Paul combines them in this passage on spiritual warfare. Verse 17 was on the word and he goes right into it. And when you read the word, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So if you just saw that phrase, pray in the spirit, you say, that's that's mystical. What does it mean, pray in the spirit? Well, it means what we've already said, that when I'm praying in the spirit, I'm praying the word of God. So praying in the spirit means praying spirit-given scripture. So praying in the spirit means I'm using the Bible to put to death the the misdeeds of my body by the Spirit whose word I'm praying into my body. That's what it means to pray in the Spirit. The word of God produces power in our life only as we allow the Holy Spirit uh, or only as we pray the words of Scripture that the Holy Spirit has given. Let me, let's just summarize our last six weeks with these four statements. Uh, Every inch of earth is a battlefield. Every believer will be assaulted by temptation. The word of God is the sword that can pierce evil's heart. Prayer is the means by which we raise the sword in battle. So since that's the first time you've seen those four things together, let's read them again. You read them with me. Here we go. Every inch of earth is a battlefield. Every believer will be assaulted by temptation. 
The word of God is the sword that pierces evil's heart. Prayer is the means by which we raise the sword in battle. So I can't tell you how important prayer is. I suppose you could say it this way. The Bible's effectiveness in your life doubles when you pray. Uh, you guys know back in uh, the spring of 2021, I had a procedure to remove uh, cancer from my prostate. Uh, that was done in the spring and March of 2021. But the real treatments began in the fall of uh, 20. When my radiation oncologist, six months prior to the procedure, which was called brachytherapy, he put me on two medications. The first one was called Orgavix, which is a testosterone killer because that's, what make, that's a fertilizer for prostate cancer. So he said, well, let's kill that. Then the second one is a big word called uh, bicalutamide. So he told me what the Orgavix was for to kill. I said, well, what's the second one for? He said, bicalutamide doubles the power of the Orgavix. This is, what, this is what prayer does. Whatever you read in scripture, its power is released doubly, quadruply, that word, when you pray. Um, the word of God is powerful, but by itself will not free you from sin. Uh, it, the, the word of God is like a key that unlocks the doors uh, of a prison cell so that you could be free, but when you walk out of that prison cell, if you've been there 20 or 30 years, you might want to call a friend that says, could you give me a ride to a new city? Could you help me find a new house? Could you help me find a new job? And so prayer is like when God, this is what the Bible does. The Bible unlocks the key of hopelessness. And um, deceit. Like you're sitting there saying, hopeless. God doesn't love me. Bible says, yes, he does. Deceit. Uh, I don't need God. There are other saviors. Wrong. Uh, so the Bible unlocks hopelessness and deceit, sets you free. But what prayer does, prayer is when you leave that prison cell, prayer is you making a call to a friend, to God, I need help. So here's my deal. If you're not praying the scripture, you're not asking God to help you what you believe, what you read, I think you haven't yet decided whether you're going to walk out to freedom or back into the prison cell. I don't think you'll talk to God in prayer if you're still in limbo which way you're going to go. You want, if you're not praying for deliverance from sin, I don't think you want deliverance from sin. You, you might worry about it, fret about it, feel guilty about it, but I don't think you want deliverance if you're not praying for it. And you say, but I have prayed. I have prayed. Well, pray more. Pray in the Spirit on all Occasions. That sounds to me like a lot of occasions. 
There are people, there were in the first service, you look like them. There are people in the first service said they've been praying about issues in their life that are besetting sin, struggles, unique, 40 years. Well, me too. Me too. So pray on all occasions. Yes, it would be convenient if we were delivered from all temptations after one sold-out day of prayer. I mean, nothing works like that. Wars aren't won like that. I mean, what, what platoon walks into the enemy's territory behind a group of tanks and after day one, the enemy gives up? Years of battle. Championships are not won in a day. A great bridge is not built in a day. Nothing magnificent is done quickly. It's perseverance in prayer is, is what God is calling you to. I told you a few weeks ago about the beautiful salvation experience, the conversion of Rosaria Butterfield. She was a tenured professor at Syracuse University teaching English and women's studies and she describes herself at that time when she was there as a lesbian, feminist, activist, professor. And by God's grace, she was introduced to a pastor and his wife who invited her into her house for hundreds of hours of talk about the Bible. And she eventually gave her life to Christ and she, she did not come to Christ because she was convicted about being a lesbian. She was convicted to come to Christ because she said that she knew that she had spent her life persecuting Jesus. Believing he was the problem, not her heart. That's how she came to Jesus. Like he's worthy, he's son of God. And I've treated him as a common man. Then the, the lesbianism came later. First, her partner moved out of the house, but there were other lesbians living in the house so Rosaria didn't even, she said, she shared with somebody at her church, I don't even know what it means to be a woman. And so in a Bible study, this friend at church said, well, Rosaria, why don't you just pray and ask God to make you a godly woman? Or she said, that was terrifying. Like, so she said she went to her house, went in the bathroom, knelt down, took up the woman's challenge and said, God, would you make me a godly woman? And she said she laughed so loud at the absurdity of that prayer that the other women in the house heard it and knocked on the door and said, are you okay? You're in the bathroom by yourself laughing. <laughs> and over time, God answered her prayer. On all occasions, pray what you're reading in the Bible and God will bring deliverance. Two questions by, or two comments by Rosaria, and I think this is why you came to church today. If you're involved in spiritual warfare, you need to know these. You need to think hard about these. Number one, are you willing to ask God to help you hate your sin while not hating yourself? Because we know in the scripture, there's nothing in the Bible about God's sin. I, want, I, I created you, caused you to be a little baby, grew up to be a man or woman, so that you could spend the rest of your life hating yourself. That's not Bible. Just hate your sin, not hate yourself. 
So are you willing to say, God, help me hate it, help me see my sin through your crosshairs while I enjoy your love? You know you're getting serious about prayer like that. And then this last comment by Rosaria is what I really want you to end with. Love this sister in Christ. In the midst of the struggle, God pledges to you his kind company and power. But he does not, he does not promise that the struggle with sin will disappear fully into glory. As you stand with the risen Christ in this battle, you are not shunned or despised, but rather you are embraced as a decorated soldier, standing in robes of righteousness. Anyone who battles the enemy by clinging to Christ is a hero of the faith and a valued child of God. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.